Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. So, uh, I just want to introduce to you some this morning someone who you may have heard her story if you watch television at all on ABC. I think she appeared on The View, a couple other places that she was uh, interviewed about her story. I may be wrong about The View. I don't know, but I know she was on ABC News. But uh, uh, quite a quite a uh, amazing experience, um, amazing in the sense that she survived, that God brought her through it. And uh, she's going to share her story with you this morning. And it's not just that she had this experience that something tragic happened to her, but it, it's what God did in the midst of the tragedy and how God has used that to give her a platform to speak and to share all over the, all over the, all over the world, really, her message of the grace and the power of God. And her name is Tiffany Johnson. She's here with her husband, J.J., and their children. And I just want you to really, really, really show her a, Del- a Destiny City welcome this morning as she comes to share her story with us. God bless you, Tiffany, as you come this morning. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, even though the, the video isn't working, I, it just kind of gives my testimony in um, so I can tell it anyway, you know. <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't need to happen, so it's fine. Um, but what I wanted to get into first is um, the text for this morning. Um, and I really want to hone in on um, choosing Jesus you know, in every circumstance, because a lot of times in our walk, you know, we get distracted by life, you know, and all of a sudden something happens and Jesus is then our 911 call instead of being who we speak to, who we have a relationship with every day. And so that's the, that's what I want to really hone in on this morning is choosing Jesus in it all, you know? And so, um, That's the title of my message, I Choose Jesus. And the text um, that I want to speak to is is John 4. So if you will flip your Bibles or your tablets, devices, whatever you bring to get the Word of God, John 4, and we'll start at verse 46. And I want to give you a little bit of context to this scripture. Um, This is in... John, where um, Jesus is ministering, and he actually, um, right before this, um, he's, he's, he talks to the woman at the well. If you remember that story of Jesus ministering to the woman at the well, and, she, and he ended up prophesying over her and telling her the things in her past that nobody could have known. And, and so she ends up spreading the word of Jesus everywhere. And Jesus then moves um, through Galilee, and he arrives at a town of Cana. And that's where this story takes place. So if you want to meet me there at John 4, 46. And I'm going to start there. And it says, In the course of his journey through Galilee, he arrived at the town of Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. 
And there was a government official in the city of Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea and was traveling in Galilee, he went over to Cana and he found Jesus and he begged him to come to Capernaum with him to heal his son who was about to die. And Jesus asked, must I do this miraculous signs and wonders before you people will believe in me? And the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed Jesus' word and he started home. While he was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to feel better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized it was the same time that Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And the officer and his entire household then believed in Jesus. This was Jesus' second miraculous sign in Galilee after coming from Judea. How amazing of a story! And I really thought, you know, as I was digging into this, um, this this young man, he traveled quite a distance to even get to Jesus. He had to leave his sick boy at home and travel to find Jesus first. And I looked up the distance between Capernaum and Cana, and it's about 20 miles. So you think 20 miles, no big deal, but that's you're thinking, we're, we have automobiles now, so 20 miles is no big deal. I mean, you can just drive there and get there in about 20 minutes, right? But back then, all they had was their own two feet, sometimes a donkey, but a lot of times it was walking. And so I looked up in the distance, you know, Google is so smart, you know, you can just, what is the distance of walking between Cana and Capernaum? And it said, it would take seven to eight hours straight walking if you did not stop at all, seven to eight hours. And you can imagine you're not going to walk straight seven or eight hours. You're going to have to take breaks and rest and drink and feed yourself, you know. So it was a full day, probably into the night journey for somebody. And he left a sick boy at home and made that journey on just the chance that maybe, just maybe, his son would be healed in this journey. And when he gets there, do you notice what the word says? Jesus was kind of, it almost sounds like he's frustrated. Like, must I do signs for anyone to believe in me? And then he tells the the governing official, go now. Your son's healed. You can go back home. And, And he had to take him at his word. How many times have we gotten a word from God and thought, oh, I don't know, God, is that really you? Can you give me like five signs before I can like, you know, confirm that it's you? Will you have, you know, the dove come in my window and will you have somebody like beep their horn three times at me or give me a Holy Ghost handshake at church, you know, like you're asking for all these crazy things because it's like you want confirmation of that. This guy, he didn't have that. Jesus just said, go. And what did he choose to do? He went. He went without even seeing the miracle. He took Jesus at his word. And you know what is amazing about this? It says later that he and his entire household then believed in Jesus. So at the time that he took him at his word, he didn't even believe in Jesus. That right there just 
convicted me because I believe in Jesus and I still question his word. But in, in this story, I think it's such a, a, an amazing display of what it means to really trust in Jesus. He took him at his word. His sick boy was about to die. He journeyed day and night to get to him. And all he got was, your son's healed. He didn't even journey back with him. He had to take him at his word and go back the day and night to even confirm whether that word was true. And it says in the middle of his journey back, that's when he, his servants met him and said, that the fever suddenly broke and that's when he started questioning what time and they realized that it was the exact time that Jesus said, your boy will be healed. What a miraculous sign. But see, it took the faith of that man that didn't even fully believe in Jesus to say, I choose you, Jesus, in this. I trust that you've got this and I'm going to walk in that word through the journey back home. I don't know what I'm going to find but I trust that you're, you're true to your word. Sometimes you've got to go through the darkest of nights and those long journeys that you're tired and you're weary and there's bumps in the road. How many times do we get distracted in that journey or start questioning? He had a choice to make. And he decided to keep journeying through. What if in the middle of that, he got distracted and said, you know what? I don't know why I'm going home. There's nothing for me. My boy's dead. I'm just going to journey, you know, to my cousin's house or whatever over in this other town. He would have never found out his miracle. But he trusted Jesus in the journey. And that's the context that I want to speak to you on my testimony because we've gone through quite the journey. It's been six months since my accident. Um, My accident took place on June 2nd of this year. And um, my husband and I, we are avid vacationers. We've coined ourselves vacation junkies. He told me the other day, it's more you that's the vacation junkie. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're in this together. You are just as excited about vacations as I am. I just might be more outward about it. (laughs) And so... We planned a cruise. This is our fourth cruise in a row. Um, it's, it's our time to get away. Uh, my mom, who's sitting here on the front row, and my stepdad, and a lot of times my sister, they jump in and they help watch my kids while we go on our little vacations. And it's, we usually do it once a year, just my husband and I. We feel like that is so important to do, to get alone with your spouse and to have that time. Whether it's a week, which sometimes we do, sometimes it's just a long weekend, whatever that looks like. And so this year... It was a full week, and we we had planned this cruise. And the first stop was St. Martin, and then we went to um, Puerto Rico. And then the last stop was Nassau, Bahamas. Now, we've been to Nassau before on a previous cruise, and actually he had been with his family as well. Um, And we knew that the snorkeling there is pretty amazing. We've been snorkeling for eight years because we actually started when we were on our honeymoon Um, and we've snorkeled almost every year since then so we're you know it's not that we're um, advanced snorkelers I don't know if you can really be advanced at snorkeling it's not there's not much to it but we've got experience and we love it okay and so we when we got off that ship we started bartering with um, 
the folks that are there, you know, to sell you excursions. And we, we bartered for a deal for parasailing and snorkeling. And so we went parasailing first. Amazing. If you've never had that experience, it's not thrilling. I thought it was going to be like, you know, a roller coaster ride, but it wasn't. It was very serene and peaceful and it was awesome. And we got to do that first. And then on the boat ride back, um, my husband started feeling very queasy. And if, if any of you deal with motion sickness, you know what I mean? Like those waves, you know, on the small boats that kind of hop through the water that really messes with his stomach. And so he was already starting to feel sick. And so we went back to, um, land. We had kind of just chilled out in the boat waiting for the other folks that wanted to join us. Cause there were kind of other activities that people could do. And this other couple decided that it was time for them to snorkel too. So it was just them two, us two, and the captain. Real small boat. We just hopped on this other boat and we took it back out there. And JJ's dealing with this stomach issue. And so we get there and we lay anchor. And I remember the captain saying, this whole area is reef. And we're just like, wow. It was huge. I mean, one of the biggest reefs we'd been to. And so... I looked at JJ and I'm like, um, do you feel okay? Are you okay to go in? And he's like, I think just, you know, going in for a little bit might help. And so we both jumped in. We snorkeled for a good 20 minutes together, just enjoying the views, pointing things out to each other. You can't really talk when you're under the water, but you can point and, you know, motion in your eyes. You can see the, you know, the uh, excitement in each other's eyes. And, and I remember just kind of swimming and I was enjoying, I went to go point something out and I look and JJ's gone. I'm like, what, what just happened? And I popped my head up and he was swimming back above the water, back to the boat. And I said, are you okay? And he said, I, I need to go back. It's getting pretty bad. And I knew what that meant because two years ago that had happened and he ended up puking everywhere. And so I'm like, you go do that and I'll stay out here. <laughs> and I told him, like, it's only been 20 minutes. Like, I'm, I'm not ready to go in yet. And he's like, all right. And so he just continued on back to the boat. And the captain had yelled out and said, um, you know, this area of the reef over here is probably from me to the Christmas tree away. I mean, it wasn't very, very far. He said, it usually draws in a lot of fish. And it wasn't a different part or a different reef. It was all the same reef. It was just one particular area where a lot of the fish gathered. So I started to kind of make my way in that direction. But if you've ever snorkeled, you're not really flailing around and swimming a lot. It's more floating. And every once in a while, you kind of push so you're not, so the curtain, current doesn't push you. Um, and the reason for that is because the fish are literally right around you. And so if you were flailing around, you're going to end up scaring those fish away, you know. And there were times when I felt like I could just touch the fish. They were so close. We were only in 10 or 15 feet deep water. And so I remember kind of making my way that way, and I was just staring at God's creation, you know, the gorgeous coral reef and all the beautiful colors and the different species of fish. And it was just, it was amazing you know, taking in that, that underwater land. And then I just, I felt like I had bumped into something. And that's literally the thought that went through my head was, oh, what did I bump into? And so I was so casual, no fear. It's not like the fish all of a sudden scurried everywhere or, you know, there was no sense of danger. I just kind of casually looked. And when I looked and turned my head, I was face to face with the shark. And he had my whole arm in his mouth. And when I say whole arm, oh, I'm stuck here. Uh, I'm going to show you the very first bite. 
is all the way up here. You see that mark right there? It's real small now, but it was a huge gash. I had like three or four staples there. And so it's here. If you think, I'm, I'm, I'm nose to nose with him. And all I could see was basically his eyes. I was staring at his eyes. And he had these black, darty eyes, and they were kind of just darting everywhere and then staring, and then darting everywhere and staring, and it was just this evil presence. And I remember, you know, it's, it's like everything felt so much in slow motion. Time just stood still. And I remember just my eyes, I could feel them getting big, and I could hear myself screaming through the snorkel tube, you know, because there's no words that can really form when you've got that thing in your mouth. And I remember just staring at this thing, and he's got my arm, and he's tra- I'm trapped. I can't go anywhere. And so I start to yank, and at that time, it's when he began to bite me. Before that, he was just chill. He just had my arm in his mouth, and he's staring at me, almost as if he was waiting for me to make a move. And so when I yanked, that was his signal. Okay, then game on. And he began to thrash and bite me. And at first, my body wanted to give up. I remember starting to have images of my kids and my husband. They started to play like a movie reel in the peripheral vision. And I remember the strength of the Lord just rising up within me. And I had to push those thoughts back. And he allowed me to have the strength to fight in the midst of my body trying to give up. And I remember yanking. And I'm thinking, you are not going to take my life. And I was just yanking. And I'm thinking, you are not going to, I'm not going to die here. This isn't going to end here. I will make it out. And I just, I had that strength just bubbling out of me. And soon enough, I was able to yank and his jaws open and my arm just kind of popped out as I, the pressure of me yanking and his jaws opening. And the first thing I see is my arm is gone. It's just a mangled stump. And I was even surprised because I hadn't felt anything. It was like... um, you know, I was surprised almost because I felt no pain, nothing. And so when I had yanked it out, I was like, oh my gosh, my arm's gone. But I didn't stay in that moment. I flipped around. I was already at the surface of the water. And I'm going to pause here and tell you this miracle because I don't want to forget it. Oh my gosh, God is so good because in the midst of him thrashing around, I'm breathing through that snorkel tube. And if you guys know anything about snorkel tubes, they only stick out of the water two, three inches at most. That thing is bobbing all around as he's fighting me. It never left the surface of the water. I was breathing through that thing the entire time. I never swallowed any salt water. And he's thrashing me. And we find out later that sharks tend to drown their victims. Anything that they attack that's at the surface of the water, whether it be a bird or an animal, a sea turtle, a human, whatever it is, they usually drag that thing down. That's their nature. He did not do that. We stayed at the surface of the water the entire time. He went against his nature. And so when he let go of me, all I had to do was flip around. And I threw off my snorkel mask and I screamed out, Help, help me, Jesus! And that's when my husband heard me. He said he was climbing back up out of the water. He had just puked everywhere. And so he's cleaning himself off. Can you imagine? 
You had just gotten sick. You know that feeling after you get sick, it's not fun. And then you hear this frantic sound of your wife screaming out. And he said he looks and all he sees is blood everywhere in the water surrounding me. And I'm making my way back. I was swimming. I had this arm out of the water and I'm swimming with my left arm. And he sees my arm that it's gone. And I'm looking at his eyes and I see this fear like I've never seen before. And he screams out, baby. And he jumps in the water. And I'm just swimming, praying in the Holy Spirit. Because that's all I had. I didn't have words at that point. I was just praying. And every, with every breath, I was saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And then I was back to praying in the Holy Spirit. And I was swimming with my left arm, just my eye on that boat, thinking, God, I need you right now. And I can just anticipate another attack. Like I felt like the shark was going to come and grab my side or my leg or my other arm. Or I mean, I could almost feel it as I'm swimming back. And it felt like an eternity, but I was quick because when my husband jumped in after me, we were probably, I was about 30 feet from the boat at the time. And I made it back to almost 10 feet from the boat before he met me. So I was able to swim back one-handed, mind you. This arm is completely severed, and I'm seeing blood just spray out. And as you can imagine, I had severed arteries. And with every stroke that I was taking, it was pumping more out, right? And so I don't know how I made it out of that water. Yes, I do know how. Jesus. (laughs) I'll correct myself before I even stop that statement. Jesus got me out of that water. Why did the shark not follow me? It was against his nature again because there's blood everywhere. And if you know anything about sharks, one drop draws them in. And I was soaked in it in the water. There was no other sharks, apparently. That's another thing that is mysterious about it all because usually when there's one, there's more. And so here we are. I'm swimming back. And I get to the, um, the boat, and they, they push me up. And I grab the captain's arm, and he pulls me up, and I hit that boat. And I'm telling you, the minute I hit that boat, the peace of the Lord was so strong. It was like a, a thick, tangible presence. I could feel him all over me. And I looked at my husband. I wasn't frantic. I wasn't crying. I didn't, I hadn't passed out. And I just looked at him in the same tone of voice I'm talking now. And I said, get something to stop the bleeding. And so he's frantic running around, you know, trying to find something. And I see the towel underneath the bench of the seat sticking out of our bag. And I said, grab the beach towel. And so he grabs it and he throws it and it kind of just drapes there. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to tie it up as tight as you can. And he's like, okay, you know, and he's, he's tying it and he's just frantic. And I'm sitting there just like, okay, we got this, you know. And he's, he's tying it. And, and I remember telling him multiple times, tie it tighter. You're not going to hurt me. I could feel the blood just gushing down my arm. And it's a beach towel. I mean, it's bulky. And so he's tying and he's like, that's as tight as I'm going to get it. And so he yanks it. And I remember him holding it just like, you know, with all his might. And I said, you elevate my arm up, and I'm going to lay my head on your lap. And I closed my eyes only because I didn't want to be staring at all the blood that was everywhere. I had basically soaked the boat everywhere, you know. 
And I want to be staring at that. And I just began to deep breathe. And I was praying in the Holy Spirit. And we had to journey back to the port. There was no radio on the boat. We had no tourniquet. It was just a beach towel to stop the bleeding. Towels soak up things. They don't stop bleeding. And we had to go 30 plus minutes because we stopped at the first shoreline, but there was nothing there. There's no hospital or anything. It was just a touristy Atlantis is where we were at. You know, that first stop was Atlantis. And all they have is the casino and, you know, first aid stuff. They don't have like a hospital to deal with this. And so they sent us back to the port. They're like, you're going to have to go back. So we had to wheel the boat around and head back. So all in all, I was on that boat for at least 30 minutes, probably more. Just praying in the Holy Spirit. And then God started depositing prayers in me, and I began to pray for my husband to give him strength. And then I prayed for the doctors that would be touching my arm, that they would be able to do whatever they needed to do to take care of me. And I prayed for my kids that somehow they would be able to understand this. And I prayed in that boat that God would use this for his glory. This is just maybe 10 minutes after it happened. So every time I get to share, like this morning, it's an answer to the prayer in that boat moments after I was attacked. And we make it back to shore. And mind you, you know, it's 30 plus minutes and I've been told later that I should have bled out on that boat because all I had was a beach towel. But here's, here's even something more miraculous. Not only didn't I bleed out, obviously I'm here. I should have died. But here's what's so amazing. I didn't even require a blood transfusion. They said I didn't lose enough blood. <laughs> If that isn't the hand of God, it's amazing. And um, I, I remember um, getting back in, and I can remember everything. In fact, I was so coherent that I heard the conversations outside the ambulance. And they're, you know, telling JJ, we've got two different hospitals. You can either go private or, or the public. And, and JJ's like, just take us to whatever's closest. And I remember yelling from inside the ambulance, make sure they take our insurance. <laughs> I mean, that's how much I was coherent. Like, I knew what was going on. I might have been crazy for saying something like that, but... I mean, here I am. I have a sound mind. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I was living that verse. I mean, that was what was coming out of me. And I think back. And my daughter, she's she, our eldest. She is um, in kindergarten this year. But she, a few years ago, has struggled with nightmares. And I remember quoting that scripture to her. And that's something we talk about every night for several years now, three years at least. And she says it now to me. You know, she said it to me now for the longest time. But it's been in our spirit. Yes. And that's what was coming out in the midst of it was I was not living in the spirit of fear. God was giving me the power 
might. It was giving the power for my body to not give in to the natural reactions of death. It was giving me power to live and power to reproduce blood at a crazy rapid rate because I knew I lost a ton in the water alone, let alone whatever that, that towel was soaking up. Power, love, and a sound mind. And so I think about this, this scripture about the journeying that this governor official did. And I think of the parallels in what we went through as well. You know, that we've got to trust Jesus in the midst of it. But the first thing is we have a choice on how we respond. We had a choice. Now, in the knee-jerk reaction of me in the water, I didn't have a choice in that. It was whatever came out. And that part really ministers to me when I think back and I think the thing that came out of me was the Holy Spirit and me screaming out the name of Jesus. I've cried tears over that because I'm so thankful that that's what was coming out of me. I had no no, um, choice in that matter. The choice came later once we went through the five-hour surgery and we were told that, you know, you've got your arm is, is... it, the blood has stopped. We've stopped the bleeding. We've, we've put a, a drain in it. But the words that the, the um, surgeon used to my husband was, we didn't try to do anything heroic. She's going to need another surgery immediately. All we could do was stop the bleed. We couldn't even close the wound fully because she's still um, swollen. And so we had a choice in that moment how are we going to respond? Were we going to freak out? Or were we going to trust that God's got this? And there were so many times that I've been asked by various media people, did you ever think that you were going to die? And I said, after I got in that boat, no, that thought never crossed my mind. In fact, it, there were times when fear tried to come in in the midst of the hospital room. There was chaos and disorganization to a point that I've never seen before in a hospital. I mean, it was really chaotic. But I remember just deep breathing, praying in the Holy Spirit. And there, were, there was one point where the supervisor of the nursing staff in the trauma room yelled out to her staff, you guys get it together. Look at her. She is calm. You're going to make her anxious. Settle down. And I thought, how am I the one setting the example here? This is a trauma room. Like they're trained for this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, the thought tried to come in. Satan tried to say, look, they don't know what they're doing. And I remember saying, no, I'm not going to go there. God has got this. And that's why I didn't let myself go there in the thoughts, because I could have very easily. But I was, I was so focused on Jesus, like he has got this. He has to. I don't have another plan. I don't have a plan B to fall back on. Like I had to depend on him in the midst of it. But that's what the choice was. The choice was what I was going to do. How was I going to react? What choice are you making today? 
Have you trusted him in everything, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the bumps in the road, in the midst of the problems, the adversity, the cancer, the mom dying, the sister on drugs, whatever your, your battle is, because there's lots of them out there. I know we all are going through battles. You have a choice. You have a choice to trust or not trust. And what you put in comes out. Listen, there's so much the world tries to offer us. And there's a lot of times we accept that instead of what God has for us. But Jesus, what he has is so much better. And if we take the time to build the relationship with him and put in the word of God daily, guess what? In the midst of it, that's what's going to come out. I'm a testimony of that. Do I get it right every time? Absolutely not. Do I spend time with Jesus every day? I try to, but I miss it some days. And now more than ever, I get really frustrated at myself because I think, Look what you've done, and I still didn't give you time today. Like, it, get, it really frustrates me now because of what, went, what I went through. But we get so busy and distracted that we don't even spend time with our Lord and Savior. You know, that relationship is where it starts. And Satan doesn't want us to have a relationship. You know why? Because there's power in the relationship. There's so many times where we try to trust in what we have instead of what God has for us because we're not accessing that power that he has for us. It's time for us to wake up as Christians and realize who we are in Christ. We are redeemed. We don't have to worry about our past. How many times do we start getting dwelling on what happened in the past? Listen, it doesn't matter. He says it doesn't matter. So why do we get so focused on it? We are forgiven. We are saved. We are healed for those that are dealing with sickness. Even cancer. That doesn't hold a candle to what God has for us. We are healed and by his blood. There's so much that we are in Christ, but there's times where we forget it. And God, he has reminded me in this process and the message that has come out of this is we got to know who we are in Christ. Because there's so many times in the Bible that it says, if you have the relationship, if you are my people, if you believe in me, then the promises will come. But the if has to happen first. We have to establish the relationship. We can't access the promises. We can't claim those promises if we don't have the relationship to start with. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, you're, if you were born into a family that had money up the wazoo and they, you know, own castles and what have you, and you were born into that, that's your inheritance by right, by law. You have an inheritance to that property, to those funds, Right? It would be crazy to think that the homeless guy down the street says, that money's mine. I'm going to start claiming that money. And he starts speaking it out into existence. That's, it's not going to do anything. Why? Because he doesn't have the inheritance. 
There's no link there. There's no relationship there. Only the sons and daughters of those people would get it, right? Well, it's the same thing for us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. He owns everything. But we don't have access to it if we don't claim it and say, God, I am your son and daughter. I do choose to believe that you're my God. We can't start claiming his promises of healing and his promises of prosperity and his promises of hope and strength if we don't have the relationship. It would be just as silly as that homeless man claiming an inheritance that isn't his. It's silly for us if we don't have the relationship. That's where it starts. That's where God starts depositing everything into you is that secret time with him. It's awesome to come to church. You need that. You need the fellow believers, our iron sharpening iron. We need to gather together. We need to be a hospital for those that need him, right? That's why God provided the church. So I'm not saying you don't go to church. That is absolutely, but that should not take the place of your one-on-one relationship with him. Going to church once or twice a week is not a relationship. Could you imagine if my husband and I, if that's all we had, I saw him once or twice a week for maybe an hour, two hours at most. We talked for a little bit and that was it. We wouldn't have a relationship, really. I mean, that would be an acquaintance. Wouldn't be a covenant relationship like, like we'd have. It's no different with God. He requires the relationship and that means time spent with him in his word, learning about who he is. Learning about the characteristics of him. That's how we get to know God. It's no different than carrying on a conversation with somebody and getting to know them. That's our conversation piece right here. He has everything we need right here. Right? And then speaking with him. Prayer. Letting him deposit special things to us. That intimacy with him. That's where it comes from. Word and prayer and worshiping him. You know, that's how we build the relationship. And we've got to have that in order to access the promises. But it's our choice. You know, there's a, there's a scripture that says, many have called, but few are chosen. And it's talking about the wedding feast. Have you guys heard that scripture before? And it used to bother me. And I remember hearing um, a sermon on it by one of our favorite preachers, Banning Leapshire. He's um, the director of Jesus Culture, if you don't know who he is. Amazing, anointed man of God. And I remember him doing an illustration on that very scripture. And he was talking about the wedding feast. The the king had thrown out invitations to all of his friends, the people that he expected to come and nobody RSVP'd. Nobody. And so he sends out a second time and says, anyone come, you know, like Joe Schmo down the street, like just come. Right. And people started coming in. Many were called, but few were chosen. The people that were chosen were the ones that said yes. yes. So it's not, it's not that he's hand-selected certain people to be the chosen. You have the choice to be chosen. You have the choice to say yes. God's not going to force him on you. You've got to make the choice that, yes, I will be the chosen one. And so that's where, that's where we're at. We've got to make the choice. You know, how, what choice will you make in the midst of it? Don't let the circumstance affect your relationship. 
Don't get distracted on the way to receiving your promise. Just like I said, what if that, that royal official got distracted in the midst of it? And didn't even receive his miracle because he'd stopped believing or got distracted in the middle of it. He wouldn't even have known that his son lived. And we get distracted sometimes in the middle of claiming the promise. We claim that we're healed and then it doesn't happen immediately. And then we get frustrated and, oh God, where are you? We're like microwave mentality. Everything's got to happen right then, right? But God's got a plan. And so we don't always understand or know that. But we've got to trust him in it. And that's what we have been learning in this journey. I don't know. I don't always fully grasp why it had to happen this way. Do I get frustrated? Yes. Are there times where I can't do simple tasks? Absolutely. I can't put my hair up in a ponytail, even with this new gadget that I have <laughs> that I just got last Thursday. I can't reach the back of my head yet, you know, so I can't put my hair up in a ponytail I can't tie shoes yet. I might be able to soon if I can figure out how to operate it effectively. But they said it's going to take a good year for me to be able to use it effectively. And I just got it Thursday. So I'm on the journey, but it's going to be a long one. (laughs) But it's a journey. It's not all the way to the end. Like we're not going to make it to the end until we're in heaven. So sometimes we get distracted in that journey of receiving the promise. If he says we're healed, we're healed whether we feel it or not. We just got a journey to the healing. Don't get distracted in the process of receiving it. And the second thing that I want to say before we wrap up is that you honor what you walk towards. That government official, he honored Jesus. By walking towards the miracle. He had a choice first of how he was going to respond. But then secondly, he honored what he walked towards. Walking in fear is honoring Satan. You're saying that the fear that he has for you is correct. That it's true about the circumstance. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is honoring Satan. Faith is honoring God. Amen. Who are you honoring? Who are you walking towards? Because we honor who we walk towards. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.